Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode 31 of the Middle-Aged Outlaws podcast. Today we're sending ourselves back in time to 1989 to take in NWA WCW's Great American Bash. Before we get into uh, what can only be described as a blast from the past, see how Adam's doing. Adam, how's it going, pal? Yeah, it's going fine, thanks. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm very keen to find out what you thought of this show um, when I asked when I asked for your uh, gif form response uh, uh, of what you thought of it you sent me quite a funny Reno Gattuso sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe shit <laughs> I like that <laughs> that kind of summed it up pretty well actually <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, I mean as, as we go through it I think uh, there's, there's some things in here I really enjoyed and there's a whole nostalgia feel to the whole thing that mm. I like mm. um, and some of the matches are, are pretty good some of them are not so good and uh, you know it's I, I know plenty about late 80s WWF but I hadn't really looked into late 80s WCW and I think you know there's similarities but there's differences as well yeah. you know um, I think some of the some of the in-ring product here although it's not all great is probably better than some of the in-ring uh, that I was used to seeing from that era. But again, it, it, it varies. It's interesting you said. It, it's certainly less Polish. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, as well. But before we get into all that, let's let's have a look at July 1989 as it was. Uh, July 1989, Seinfeld screened its pilot episode on NBC in the US. Wow. When Harry Met Sally was released in cinemas. Wow. Did you go see that when you were? Eight. Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, Could have been no. awkward if you were there with parents or... Yeah, yeah, that would um, have enjoyed that. We had some special birthdays that year, Adam. Uh, a man that's close to your heart, Gareth Bale. Oh, okay, okay. Um, one of the world's greatest wizards, not Chris Jericho. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Was born that year, the man that gone to, or the young man that would go on to play Harry Potter, and the world's greatest footballer, and my number one crush, Alex Morgan, was born that year as well. That month yeah. of that year. Oh, nice, nice. That, yeah, I think you mentioned that to me at the time, and I, I encouraged you not to make the entire show about uh, Alex Morgan, but we'll see. You know. Oh, yep. <laughs> Let's not do that. You, uh, music-wise, last time I asked you to try and guess something for the top ten, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be cruel and do that to you this time. But I will tell you what the UK and US number ones were okay. in July '89. Um, Sonia, you'll never stop me from loving you. 
in the UK. Okay. Recognise that one? I, I, I recognise the name of the person, but not the song name. Sonia. Not not Sonia from EastEnders. <laughs> and in America, it was um, Mar- Martika? Martika? Martika. Toy Soldiers? Okay, I think I know that song. You yeah. know, it was um, sampled on the Eminem. Yeah. Toy- I, that one. Yeah, okay. There you yeah. go. Golden Age? I, I, I definitely wouldn't have got those, so I'm glad you didn't ask me. I think you've probably got a cheeky wee Simon Cowell-produced Sonia album hiding in that music collection of yours somewhere. Yeah, I mean, back when I had all the CDs, there was all sorts in there, so <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're long gone, unfortunately. I miss them. Well, talking about a rogue bunch of misfits being all chucked together, <laughs> let's get straight into this. <laughs> Great American Bash 1989 pay-per-view. This, I believe, was the first Great American Bash to be ran by the WCW after Turner Broadcasting had purchased the the rights to NWA. Yes. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Um, We're in Baltimore, Maryland, 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 with good old JR, Jim Ross, and Bill... Oh dear, I didn't take his oh, name. Co- Coddle? Coddle? Uh, Bob Coddle. Bob Coddle. Bob Coddle. Bob Coddle. Yeah. 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 Um, and I enjoyed their their banter back and forth pretty much throughout this. Yeah, I, I think um, you know one of the things they always said about Jr. And I think a lot of people really enjoyed his work when he was doing this kind of thing. Is he he, he tries to call things like their real sporting events, mm-hmm. um, and. I think a lot of fans like that, whereas, you know, he's he's clearly had to go a bit more talk about the storyline um, once he's he's having his sort of glory run in WWE. But yeah. he's, he's he's good here. He's, yes. he's definitely, yeah. He's quite, they're quite subtle, you know, like JR and King almost dominate a, a WWF pay-per-view, whereas yeah. here it feels a, a little bit more, like you say, like a sports commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we get into, as soon as we're on, we get some awesome intro music and we're straight into a triple crown, king of the hill, battle royal. Gimmick, 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 gimmick. So immediately we, there's two rings because we know we're yep. getting war games. So there's two rings. So they must have just thought, fuck it. Let's just use these two rings as much as we can. Yeah. And when I first saw it, I thought, Okay, I know there is a War Games match coming up. And I thought, so I, I assume they've come up with, let's just do this Battle Royal. Then they thought, oh, wait a minute. We've got two rings we can play with here. So let's do things in a slightly more convoluted manner. <laughs> um, it seemed a wee bit too gimmicky. I did. So it's a Battle Royal featuring men who have been previous winners of other Battle Royals. <laughs> They've won these crowns, so you've got all these guys, basically everybody that's on this card, plus some extras, coming down wearing these Burger King ridiculous crowns. <laughs> um, and the concept is, as a two rings, like we say, they all start in the one ring. To eliminate them, you must throw them into the other ring. And once you get into the other ring, you have to be, you have to try and eliminate people over the top rope. Um, whoever is left in the first ring and whoever is left in the second ring would then square off to decide who is the king of the hill 
Yeah. I mean, who came up with that concept? That is... And and 50 grand for the winner. 50 grand for the winner. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. So, going to throw out some names because uh, impossible almost to say everybody is in this match. But um, like I say, you've got the majority of people that are at on the card. Uh, we had, who am I looking for? Scott Hall. Cowboy Scott Hall with his big tash and blonde hair. Yeah, I think he's maybe he's one of the only ones that's in this that I don't think was on the card. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, when when I heard his name, I was looking trying to sort of pick him out, but it's so hard when you're in this type of match in this situation to focus uh, on any one thing. On, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Steiner brothers were in there. The skyscrapers yep. were in there. Ron Simmons was in there. Yep. Uh, some a guy called Ranger Ross. Yeah, I think I think that was my first Ranger Ross experience. So. Yeah, we, we know we we know we know what a battle royal's like. I, I don't. You never you've never enjoyed a battle royal, have you? No, I mean I think the the, the whole idea it's why the concept. Yeah, the the reason the Royal Rumble works is because they put a different spin on it and they had people enter gradually and you know you could focus on individual things. It's just in this. It starts off as like just a melee that you can't really see what's going on, uh-huh. and then you end up having to try and focus on two rings as soon as there's two people in, in ring B, um, which makes it even harder to follow what's going on. Um, yeah, it's a, a little bit of a mess. It is a mess, and there's definitely no point in trying to break down this match. No, no. Um, suffice to say, uh, Sid, who seems to be pretty new, um, I think, around about this time, but is yeah. like massive, and the, even despite being a heel... The fans seem to absolutely love him. Mm-hmm. Um, Sid and Pillman, Brian Pillman, are the last two in the first ring. Yeah. Um, I think Sid launches Pillman yeah. into the second ring. And in the second ring, after all men, after almost all the men have been eliminated, we end up with Dan Spivey, who is Sid's tag team partner in the skyscrapers. And yep. Dr. Death Steve Williams is the last two. Um, so we've got tag team uh, Spivey gets rid of Williams and we've got tag team partners set to face off against each other but hold on player <laughs> I was hoping you were going to do something like that Theodore Long says uh uh-uh, uh that is not happening on my watch <laughs> he is of course the skyscrapers manager and uh, he says we'll be splitting this cash we're not fighting anybody Um and despite doing that in the ring, he then goes backstage with uh, in slow motion Gordon Soley <laughs> and cuts the exact same promo <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I like what they were trying to do here, which is to obviously they've got these two huge monster guys in a tag team. Um, it feels like they're going to push this tag team pretty far mm-hmm. and uh, they want to make them both kind of look indestructible here um, so they've basically just destroyed the field uh, for this uh, this battle royal and then not turned on each other because obviously it's far too early in the storyline for anything like that um, yeah I, I noticed even during this and I think it maybe becomes apparent later on in the tag match, the crowd really likes it but they don't seem to feel the same way about Spivey <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that at that match. Um, what was I going to say there? Well, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Gordon Soley. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard a few things, like just listening to other podcasts and stuff like that. And I know he was also, I think, was it he and Bob Coddle were, were this like legendary announced team for a while, I think, right. uh, a good bit before we get to this stage. Um, I think by the sounds of it, uh, alcohol was often involved um, when it came to Gordon Soli. Um and knowing that and then watching this, I, I, I can see it, I, I think. You see, that the, the first time we went backstage with him, I was like, oh, okay, this is, uh, I mean, you know, like he's doing this sort of mean Gene Okerlund part <laughs> backstage, isn't he? Uh, yeah. But as it went on, and they essentially do interviews with him for every match, in advance every match, I was like, I quite like his style, actually. It's just nice and slow, <laughs> methodical. I quite liked it. I, I, oh, liked the, I liked the logic of the tag team partners not fighting each other. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I thought it achieved what it needed to achieve, um, and it, it didn't because of the nature of the match. It didn't feel like it it hurt anyone. I wrote I wrote something about the fact that um, the first person who's fully like eliminated from from basically the full match is Ron Simmons, who yeah, no, w- will go on to be a world champion at a point. So it's you know it's not doing anyone any harm to to get eliminated in this kind of thing. Yeah. And I think they were hinting at some storylines because I'm sure uh, Mike Rotunda um, is involved against Steve Williams, which must have been a storyline that I think they allude to a little bit later on. But yeah. uh, just trying to keep some stories going on there. But yeah, it made sense. Protect the big, strong-looking new tag team. Yeah. So from there. We go to our first singles match, and despite having just been thrown out um, mercilessly by Sid at <laughs> this battle royal, we're straight back into Bill Irwin. Yeah. Um, taking on Flying Brian, who is, of course, Brian Pillman. Yep. Um, what do you think of this match? Now, I thought it was fine, but um, <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed in a way. And I'll explain why, and hopefully it'll all make sense when I do this. So, see, when I was young, and I think I've mentioned this before, I saw Brian Pillman doing his Flying Brian stuff, and it looked incredible. And I remember watching it thinking, I've just not seen anything like this before. And I wonder if the fact that I've now seen this so much from so many different performers over so many years has kind of diluted how I feel about it looking back on it now. Uh, which is a shame because, you know, they're, they're probably, I know you've had the likes of, you know, Jimmy Snuka, but there, there probably weren't an awful lot of, uh, high profile, high flying, um, American wrestlers yeah. at, at this point in time. Um, so I, I can totally see now how seeing it as a kid, I would have been like, wow. And then watching it here, I would have been like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It's like kind of like trying to watch. A 1970s Brazil game and being like, "All oh, right, Pele was amazing." Yeah, but I, I, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, I thought it was fine. You know, the, the I think the JR is trying to sell uh, Brian Pillman as the the real athlete. He mentions is uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, yeah. straight in there, JR. And he, I think he. I think he's known as an announcer that did that a lot over the years. He always likes to talk about the the real credentials of the guys. Um, You've got like Bill Irwin, who I've got to say didn't evoke anything in me when I'm watching it, really. Um, But he's trying to slow the match down, which is logical. Pillman's trying to keep it quick. Um, Because to start with, Pillman's flying. Yeah. Well, literally. 
But I, I, he's flying all over the shop, so I, he, d- he does he, quite a decent job of slowing it down, actually. Yeah, um, and you've also got, um, I think they mentioned Pillman's on a winning streak uh, at a point, and they keep talking about his, his heart and, you know, the fact he doesn't give up and he's in there against bigger guys most of the time and he just keeps going. And you do start to get, see sort of some signs of that as Bill Irwin's taking over and, and physically dominating. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very much selling and positioning Pillman as the, the sort of smaller guy who's just, who just won't quit. It's crazy the evolution of Pillman to what he ends up looking like around 96, 97 compared to yeah. this, isn't it? Yeah. Almost um, unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if what, I think what he became in, especially like right towards the, the end when he's the, the loose cannon character and then he's in WWE as part of the, the Heart Foundation. It's so much about character work uh-huh. by this point, whereas the, the focus here is, is purely what's happening in the ring, really. And I suppose you can look at character from the heart point of view, but, um, yeah, it's, it's storytelling in a match, whereas so much of the storytelling later on was beyond the match, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, yeah, there's not much to say about this. It's, it's, uh, whoop. You're right. Yep, I just uh, half half dropped my water bottle, but it's fine. We're all good. Good. Um, yeah, we've got baby. Is, is straight up baby face versus heel, um, flying about the place versus try to slow it down, try to chop him down. Um, there's not much more to be said about it. Pillman manages to get the win after it gets launched into the other the other yeah. ring, and he counters that by diving off the top rope with a, with a crossbody, yeah. and uh, get the one, two, three. There was a good crowd reaction for his win, I noticed. Um, so I think as, as far as the crowd are concerned, he's quite over at this stage. Um, certainly building quite a following because it, it leaped out at me a little bit how big the reaction was. Nice. It's some, something that I did notice, actually. The crowd were like well up for this. We, we spoke yeah. about the Canadian crowd the last time we spoke. Um, wasn't quite to that level, but they are well up for this. Like, yeah, where is? Are we Baltimore here? Baltimore, yeah, Baltimore. yeah, yeah. Um, so we we go from there back to Mister Mister Nice and Easy Gordon Soley with Polly Dangerously, who is getting himself ready for his tuxedo match with Jim Cornette a couple of matches later. Yeah, and he cuts a. An aggressive, angry promo about how he's gonna he's coming for Jim Cornette, he's gonna ruin his knee. Is that is that real that he was a photographer before? Yeah. 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 He mentions being a photographer in eighty six when Cornette fell off a scaffold in, in, in a scaffolding match. Yeah, so I'm not sure if the timeline definitely follows, but he definitely started off being a photographer. And do you know what I think Cornette had as well? Uh yep. early in uh, his career. Right. Yeah. Um what did you think of uh, Paulie cut, cutting a promo here? I love this Paulie Dangerously <laughs> character. I love He's this, such a dick. The nonsense, the, the mobile or the sort of whatever that sort of phone that is, mobile <laughs> the, phone. The, the giant phone. It's yeah. just arrogant and yeah, I love it. When I saw this in the, the sort of match listing, you know, you, you know it's not going to be much of a match when, it, when it's starting off, but I was wondering how it positions itself because you've got Jim Cornette, who I think for most of his managerial run was a heel. Um, he was always, you know, trying to find a way to help his guys win. Um, and heel antics and the, the, you know, the tennis racket and all that. But I can't imagine manager 
Polly dangerously <laughs> being anything other than a heel. Yeah. Uh, but it becomes, I think, quite clear quite quick that, yeah, uh, yeah who's on what side here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so we go to our next match. Get your frisbee and your sunglasses ready, Adam, because here come the dynamic oh, dudes. Uh, this was awkward. This was so weird. Dynamic dudes appear to be park-dwelling cool dudes <laughs> that throw frisbees to each other and have blonde hair and like bright colours. Yeah. That's the gimmick. And they <laughs> grab some poor kid out of the crowd who is not interested in catching a frisbee from Johnny Ace. <laughs> Um, but they do it to him anyway, and they launch some frisbees into the crowd. Uh, I, I genuinely forgot that this was Shane Douglas and, and John Laurinaitis. Uh, they were almost unrecognisable. It was so funny. See, I, I kept thinking when we were watching this, remember when we were um, going through, was it when we were going through 98 that uh, we saw some fantastic work from Shane Douglas at ECW? Mm-hmm. Uh, being like this total badass heel champion and I'm watching this and I'm just thinking wow <laughs> wow it's uh, so funny yeah um, and the, the dynamic dudes are taking on the skyscrapers who we've obviously seen win the battle royal I immediately they've got the camera away down low to accentuate yeah. How tall they are coming out. I immediately love the presentation. I'm like, yes, they look amazing. <laughs> uh, we've got Teddy Long, obviously, managing them. I love the whole presentation. Yeah, obviously, they have to get in the ring. Um, but when you're younger and watching stuff like this, I think that, you know, it almost makes up 80% of it is what they look like and uh, yeah. the whole gimmick. This, I think they would have felt very at home on the WWF show mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, you can see everything that Vince saw and said mm-hmm. and why he was so so desperate to, to get him and brought him back a couple of times. Do you know who um, made a, an appearance as a, a skyscraper, uh, as a one-off? I do. M- you do? Mean Mark. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mean Mark, the masked skyscraper. But he wore a mask? Yeah. Did he really? Yeah. Yep. The Undertaker it's, himself. Yeah, uh, a one-off appearance. Um, yeah. There you go. Oh. What could have been? Yeah, I mean, he could have had quite a career. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this is funny. There's quite near the start of this match, JR starts taking wild shots at WWF. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are not bodybuilders. What else is he saying? We, we, he's, he's, refer, he's referring to Jake the Snake. He says something like, we don't they don't bring their pets to the ring. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, that was quite something. I, I was, I was watching and listening and thinking, oh, Jr. If, if only you knew where your <laughs> career is going to be taken you and where you would spend so many years. But yeah, he, he was, he was firing off shots. If only you knew that Ricky Steamboat was going to come out with a Komodo <laughs> dragon in about half an hour. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> when you've said what you've said when that happens. If you're just sitting there thinking, "Ah, oh, shit," <laughs> that's where the anger comes from. This podcast. <laughs> so this again, this match is not the greatest thing in the world. No. Uh, apparently, the criteria for being a skyscraper is no sell everything. <laughs> um, poor Johnny Ace almost dies in this match. I know I'm going straight to the finish, but oh my god. 
Yeah, he definitely nearly just dropped him on his head. And that, that, that was a bad look. That uh, I didn't like that. That was horrible, eh? Looked really bad. <laughs> yeah. That was Spivey. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, I think Spivey spends about 95% of the match in as the, the legal man. The whole mm-hmm. crowd, despite them being heels, are, are screaming for Sid the whole, and they go mad yeah. when he gets tagged in. And then there's a point, he, I can't remember what he does, but he does something heelish. And they start jeering him, and he really like revels in in the jeering. He does a pose and everything, yeah, yeah. but then they start cheering him again. It's funny, class. <laughs> so yeah, like that power bomb that Spivey does on Johnny Ace. That that should have finished the match, and it did finish the match. Yeah, um, skyscrapers win. I'm sure the dynamic dudes go on to do amazing things in the WCW. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we we can we come out of this with no doubt in our minds that um, we're we're keeping an eye on these these skyscrapers. They're they're going to be a thing, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't actually know if the the dynamic dudes were were more than glorified jobbers, but it's kind of how it came across in this match anyway. They definitely did they? <laughs> yeah, like a like a Saturday night main event type mm-hmm. guys for the for the Heart Foundation to run through or something. Yeah, yeah. Back to Gordon. Yes. Bring us back down to earth, and he's with Jim Cornette, who cuts a passionate promo. Yeah. He's ready. I believe him. Don't know about you, I loved it. He's he's great at, at promos. Like I I think I, I probably didn't see aside from him just speaking for somebody as a manager, I probably didn't see enough of his promo work. Um because he's, he's really good, and he, he must have done a hell of a lot of them, even just, you know, for the, the Midnight Express and mm-hmm. things like that. Because um, I think what I'll have seen more of is him just being next to, I don't know, Kamala or somebody like that at, at any <laughs> given time. Um, but yeah, it, it also struck me how young he looks. <laughs> I know, me too. Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, he talks pretty passionately. Um, he talks about... Um, the fact he did injure his knee in the was it the scaffold match in 1986, and he he still has to to wear a, a knee brace. Uh, but he says he'll he'll get Paulie even if both his legs are broken. Um, yeah, he's he's he's, he's just he's just a very good talker. Cornette. Yes, he definitely is. And we go straight. Almost he must have been he must have just hot footed it straight through Gorilla, <laughs> um, because we're straight into the well, straight into the entrances and the crowd goes absolutely wild for Cornet. You'd think this was Hulkamania and it's <laughs> pe- at its peak. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And the the booze for Paul Lee as well. Um yeah, the the, the crowd are, are, are very much in Cornet's corner here. Paul Paulie's walk's amazing. <laughs> He's had the same walk forever. <laughs> that kind of cocksure swagger, I like it. Yeah. Um, I was not sure what to expect with this match. Tuxedo match, of course. The winner is the man who removes the other man's tuxedo. Um, sounds like something I probably wouldn't be that interested in watching, but I have to tell you, it's probably one of my favourite matches on this card. I actually it, really, really enjoyed it. It works better than it should. And I think it's because they, they do a few logical things because I think it's always in the back of your mind, especially after the promo, that Cornette is just going to go 100 miles an hour here. He's going to go after him. He's going to do everything to get to him. And then you've got the classic heel move from from Paulie with the powder yep. 
to the face, uh, which, you know, puts the, the heel well in control. And then he's hitting, he's, he's using his massive phone on Cornette's <laughs> knee, just smacking him with it and smacking him with it. And it's one, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's ridiculous, but I, I, I was quite absorbed in it. <laughs> I, I was the exact same. I was laughing. Corn, I was listening to Cornette talking about this match, and he, he's like, and he's, he's got a town on the knee, and then the stupid motherfucker started hitting me in the other knee. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a bit of real life heat between these two? Is because um, I'm sure I've heard it might have been Bruce Pritchard at a point saying that they they batted heads a lot when they were both in creative roles uh-huh. um, at WWE, but. They're so similar, and that's maybe the problem. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think the whole thing is that they're essentially the same person. One's from New York and one's from the South, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> aye. Like you say, Heyman, uh, Polly dangerously has got a town on the knee. Um, at, one, at one point, Paul spits at him as well. I mean, he's really yeah. healing it up here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and he, and he drops an elbow as well, but Cornell gets mm-hmm. it the way. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I've wrote here Cornell seems to be hulking up. Yes, he does. He hulks up. So Polly, to counter that, goes back to the powder, but Cornet volleys the powder straight back in his face, which I was really impressed with that he managed to actually hit his hand and <laughs> and knock it in. Um, I had uh, there was one moment of uh, commentary that just had me picturing uh, Jerry Lawler here, but it's obviously a very different environment. Jerry Lawler from the Attitude Era, because at one point, and I'm sure I heard this right, Bob Cottle says, "Let's see some clothes come off." Oh God! <laughs> Said no one ever watching Paul Heyman <laughs> and Jim Cornette. That's brilliant. <sighs> so. Yeah, I think this only goes like six minutes or something like that. But honestly, I was the same as you. It's quite absorbed. Like you believe Cornet when he's going for the punches, he's throwing these punches like his life depends on it. Yeah. Um, eventually, <coughs> he gets that tuxedo ripped off of him, and he takes off up the aisle, <laughs> and his and his boxers or whatever, <laughs> uh, and the fans go wild. Yeah, that's good fun. Yeah, sell it, sell it. That's like wrestling comedy done in a logical and sort of fun way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's only um, there's one other issue I have with it, oh, but go on. But uh, I think it maybe comes in the the, the promo that comes immediately next. <laughs> there's something that said between Jr. and Bob Coddle about <laughs> this is you know the, there's only room for one manager or something like that, and then we've got this guy Gary Hart. Who is a manager who's completely uninvolved in this whole situation, who's talking about the great Muta who's facing Sting later for the, the TV title. And I think Gary Hart ends up involved in about three matches from here till the end. Yeah, but, does. I think he's with Terry Funk as well, isn't he? Yeah, but they've just, you know, forgotten about him in the battle of the managers. I've never heard of him before. He's quite charismatic. I like the way he cut a good promo. Yeah, I've no idea what what happened to him because you know he's he's obviously here and fairly prominent on this show you know he's 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 got some roles um but i don't know if he i don't ever remember him being at wwe mm-hmm. um in any kind of any kind of role um which is it's it's a little bit surprising that i hadn't heard or seen more of him cuz he seems pretty good in the he role he does say he does so I were back with Gordon, like you say, is with Gary Hart, and 
I think they expected to be with the great Muta, um, mm. but he Gary Hart tells us that he is currently meditating uh, in preparation for his match with Sting for the, the NWA TV title, like you say. Yeah. Um, how much do you know about the great Muta? A little bit in that I'd seen a couple of his matches um, a little bit further on than this year. Um, But I remember him like, they they had this tournament, I don't know when this was, but it was a WCW tournament, which had all the big hitters in it and there was a singles one and a tag one. And basically everyone fought everyone and you got like two points for a win and one point for a a tie and things like that. And somebody won at the end based on who had the most points and stuff like that. And I think he got beat in every match at that tournament, which seemed that maybe maybe the excitement about his arrival had kind of worn off by that point. Well, at this point, they certainly do a good job of selling him as an exciting threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway... We go back to ringside. We're not quite ready for Muta and Sting yet. This is... Uh, I could done with this not being on this card. It's a <laughs> tornado tag match between the Steiners and Kevin, Sull- Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda. Yeah. Um, tornado tag. Mm, you'd be better having them just have a brawl. Stick the camera on them, have a brawl outside. Uh, <laughs> backstage or something like that. I didn't like this at all. Yeah, I, I, think, I assume... I can't remember when or how this all takes place, but you know the the varsity club being the varsity club, there was a sort of natural heat with the Steiners, who I think at one point they wanted to join them, or they certainly wanted Rick to join the ah, varsity really? club. That context um, is helpful. That's good. And then uh, at some point, you know, he's I think he was maybe affiliated with them for a bit, and then was just like, no, I'm going to go and do my own thing, and they didn't like that. And Kevin uh, Sullivan doesn't strike me as. Um, like varsity club, yeah, type of guy. No, well, maybe they, I mean, Mike, Mike's rotunda, fair enough. Uh, but I'm yeah, selling that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think this was just um, what, what's that phrase? It was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we've never seen the best of the Steiners. Anything we've watched, we've just never really <sighs> seen Steiner, Liner, Frankensteiner, Mullet Scott. Running about, aye. We've yeah, just not seen that. We need to find yeah. that. Yeah, because it's definitely out there somewhere. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember being like, I used to, used to get excited to watch them. Right. Uh, that, that was a thing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't know how much more you want to talk about this match. I, I genuinely absolutely hate it. It actually annoyed me. Um, I think I'd been enjoying everything up to this point. And I was just like, oh, this is just a mess. Yeah, I don't have an awful lot of notes, but I've got something about... Uh, Scott comes off the top turnbuckle with a high crossbody, um, and both Scott and Rick pin Sullivan to to get the win. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't write an awful lot of notes for it, so I probably wasn't too engaged with it. I don't think. Cool. There was someone I was got. What was I going to mention there? Oh, uh, Rick Steiner's well over. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, it's funny to think how it kind of turns out because he. You know, down the line, well down the line, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle when, when Scott becomes the, the what, the, what, what is he? The freak, the freak the big, big pump, yeah. pump, yeah, big pump, pump. Um, I think you know, Rick kind of becomes the the sort of forgotten man. He does. It's funny because I was looking at WCW pay per views round about this time, a little bit for, for, uh, further on, and the Rick's in main events as a as mm-hmm. a solo. A performer as well, so 
Yeah. Aye. Yeah. Funny. Guess who we're back with? Yes. Gordon. Just take your time, Gordon. And he is with a fresh faced looking sting. Um who is telling Gordon that he's trying to stay calm. He's trying to keep things serious, so he's, we're, we're very much in light-hearted, happy, baby-faced sting. Yeah, I think they, they refer to it as surfer sting, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, he doesn't cut a huge promo, he's just talking about ready to get out there and, and take on uh, Muta. Yeah, talks about his respect for Muta, I think, uh, but has no respect for Gary Hart. Poor Gary. Yeah. He does all the heavy lifting here. Mm-hmm. Um, was was hot stuff Eddie Gilbert involved in this promo as well? Excuse me. Hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. I was going to say to you, I think Sting <laughs> had a guy with him, but you're all over it. What's well, this? Yeah, it's hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Who is hot stuff Eddie Gilbert? No. <sighs> I, 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 I'll be honest here. I'm going to have to look it up because it's not something I just know, but it's a name I recognise. Um, so Eddie Gilbert was oh he was married to Missy Hyatt okay and Medusa okay okay not at the same time um well yeah yeah was he was he in a tag team or something was that a thing he was quite young He's, as a manager oh my goodness he was quite young when he died as well oh dear <laughs> yeah died at thirty three um yeah he. He'd, he'd had a wrestling career. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> Somebody must have said his name because I definitely didn't look and think, oh, that's hot stuff. There's hot but... stuff. <laughs> um, oh, well. Yeah. Rest in peace, hot stuff. Um, so here we go, NWA TV title, Young Sting versus the Great Muta. I did not know what to expect with Great Muta. He came out with some crazy thing on his face. I thought, is he wrestling with that on? <sighs> this looks like... I create a wrestler that like a <laughs> six-year-old kid would have made. Um, no, he takes it off and he's he's uh, covered. He's wearing red face paint. Um, I, I thought this was brilliant. I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I think this was my favourite match ah, on nice. the card. Right. Um, yeah, really enjoy. I, I do like the main event as well. But this was a really entertaining. Cause like you. I didn't feel like I'd seen a lot of Muta anyway. Um, and, you know, there's... At the start of the match when the announcers are saying something like, I think they say the battle of the paint. And I was thinking, oh, no, don't, don't do this. This isn't... Um, and I've, I was also kind of waiting for all of the, uh, you know, Japanese wrestler... Um, the cliches and things like that and you know we, we, we do see some of them uh, but maybe not to quite the extent that, that we have done on some other occasions um, and I actually I, I liked Gary Hart because he's doing quite a lot of things through the match but a lot of them are quite subtle mm-hmm. um, you know like he's I think right from the start um, there's uh, he's basically distracting Sting who goes after him which allows Muta to, to jump Sting Um yeah. And it's a, a lot of it is just you know little moments where he's he's looking like he's gonna reach in the ring and snatch a foot and stuff like that, but he doesn't actually do it quite I, a lot. I, I like that uh, as well. He's just been a pest basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which which I really liked. And you know, you you need something. I always think is is sadly missing from 
from uh, the current product is the the heel manager. You know, it seems like you you just get, I don't know, Valleys now or uh, Paul Heyman, you know, who does get involved and does some things like this, but it doesn't just doesn't seem to be as much of a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. They were doing it for a bit with Don Carlos when he was with uh, Kenny Omega. Right. In AEW, that was quite good. But you're right, it's, it doesn't seem to be. I think of how influential Bobby Heenan has mm-hmm. been over the years. Yeah. Let's write to Vince, we'll tell him. <laughs> or Nick Khan, if he's the one running it, we'll, we'll write to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is just so high tempo, they're just flying uh, about all over the shop. And talking about that Japanese influence, I noticed JR at one point says that. Uh, Muta put Sting in an oriental sleeper. Yeah, he not, did. Not just a sleeper. There were a few moments from JR, because at one point as well, Sting clotheslines Muta, and JR says, an American clothesline, because Sting is made in the USA. Oh, no. Come on. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. We've not mentioned the referee this match. A very young Danny McBride. Yeah. yeah, Nick Patrick. I think that's who mentioned his name, and I was like, "No way, is it?" It was. Yep. Um, well, he's he's the ref at the start. Ah, yes, yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what took me back to being a wee kid watching WCW on a Saturday was when Sting gorilla pra- gorilla pressed him. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I remember <laughs> this now. Yeah, yeah. It used to be. He used to do that in most matches, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, obviously, as WCW, like when you were talking about Sting being involved with what we were watching in 1998, it's not going to be Gorilla pressing Kevin Nash or <laughs> Paul White or anybody. Yeah. It's all giants. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I always think when see when I see Sting and it's in like this era where he's you know it's, he's not covered up. He's he's ridiculously built and mm-hmm. put together. And yeah. you know, I remember hearing. Um, and seeing pictures of him and a young Ultimate Warrior when they were a, what were they called, the Blade Runners or something, yeah, when they were a tag right, team yeah. trying to break through and they both looked ridiculous but you always it always stayed with you with Warrior, whereas Sting, I think maybe because he started, you know the Crow gimmick and he covered up and things mm-hmm. like that, you don't you don't maybe think of it as much but he, he was ridiculously built It's crazy to think that they I've seen pictures of them together as well, they just look amazing together. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that they've both split off and went their separate ways, both went with these face paint gimmicks and mm-hmm. went right to the top of either company. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. It would have been a, a fun match to have seen between the two of them, a wee dream match that one. Yeah, true. Yeah. As long as Warriors know wearing one of the flesh-coloured singlets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost let myself forget about that. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> um, we knew the mist was coming. In this match, but how cool is a red? How cool is any mist? Yeah, in a match. It. Yeah, it's it's it is one of those um, gimmicks that I I always liked to um, kind of regardless who was doing it. Because I remember oh, who was it that used to do it in? Um, would it have been Attitude Era actually, or, or no? It was a few years after. Um, Tajiri did it. Yes, Tajiri, who had all the the fancy kicks and the um, like. Moves where he tied you up with his, his legs and your ropes. Yes, huh? he, he was he was cool. But yeah, it's it's 
it's just a good gimmick. Um, yeah, it really it's, is. It's uh, it's one of those where I remember even as a kid when I was probably quite naive to the whole thing. You would watch and you would see the mist and you'd be like, "Well, that can't be allowed," you know. <laughs> and, just, and then thinking to myself, "How did he hold that stuff in his mouth? How's that, how's that actually happened?" It just quite you know quite naive to to how everything worked. Simpler days, Adam. Yeah. So our our boy, poor Nick Patrick, gets the mist in the face. He gets taken out of this match. Yeah, um, and then they make what I think is known in the business as a complete pig's ear. The finish. <laughs> um, so, I mean, uh, do you think it was booked this way? I yeah, I do. Uh, so we've got um, Tommy Young runs down to be the the replacement ref. I've got some serious questions about the way this all unfolds. <laughs> Um, so it's I, I don't know what what you would describe the move Sting does as is it like a bridge German suplex? Aye, or, aye. Yeah, um, I've got with... mo- I've got modified back suplex. That's me jumping in my Vince bag with modified. <laughs> so the 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 shoulders are counted. Somebody's shoulders are counted. The match is over. <laughs> Somebody's and, shoulders. And, and and then there's a an indication that. Um, I got, is it the announcers that first indicate something's not, not quite right here? Uh-huh. Um, and it, what, what seems to have happened is that while Tommy Young, um, who is the ref that came down, has awarded the match to Sting, um, who executed the suplex, Nick Patrick, who's just had all this mist blown in his eyes and didn't really seem to be very aware of anything that was going on <laughs> at that point, is adamant that Muta got a shoulder up. So, did they, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a mess. <laughs> I wonder what the script is with Nick Patrick. Like, is he, so, I wonder if he's someone's son or something. <laughs> he he just seems like a fool to me. And I don't know if that's like really good character play, but he just, he's prominent in so much in, especially WCW wrestling history. Mm-hmm. But he, it just seems to make an arse of things. I, I don't mean like as part of the storyline. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't seem very believable. He seems like an oaf. Because <laughs> I, I think they, they ended up, yeah, they used him in a few NWO angles as well, didn't yeah. they? Further yeah. down the line. Uh, yeah, he was the apparently corrupt, but he says he's not and then does play it straight referee. And then I, I remember him in the invasion angle having a match with Earl Hebner. He did. He did. Slobber knocker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, this this was a very messy finish. It was, and I think they refer they reference reference it later on, and I think they they agree, or the of course there's an NWA committee, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I think this is something like a committee have agreed to up uphold the or to put a pause on the title or something like that. Basically, yeah. they need to have a rematch, and there's no champion. Yeah, so because at the time Muta leaves with the belt. Um, Sting had gone in as champion. I think they mention it's Sting's first uh, major championship. All right, okay. Um, nice. So he's. Uh, I don't know if he's he's maybe already had uh, like his match with Flair. He must have done. I think that that kind of made him. Um, and then he's been just gradually working his way up the card. Nice. Uh, but he's. Uh, yeah, the the referees have basically awarded the the two referees that are involved have awarded the match differently. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's no there's currently no champion. But what they don't do a good job of is making that clear. And I I was sort of thinking about the fact that I've heard this discussion quite a few times 
about what announcers actually know when you're going in uh-huh. to a show. And I mean, this came across as the announcers did not know how this was supposed to turn out, really. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like we've obviously heard before that the WWE announcers have got Vince in the rear. Mm-hmm. Essentially screaming at them whilst they're trying to talk, whereas yeah. I, I imagine in this at this point in time they were just calling on the fly. JR said before he didn't like to know the results of, mm-hmm. of things. Going back to that thing that you're saying about being a like trying to present it as a real sports yeah. um, sort of presentation. So, aye, a bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah. I still really enjoyed the match. Me I just too. thought the the finish was it, it's unfortunate because I think what you wanted to see was something definitive. Um, and I was thinking, you know, not trying to rebook it or anything, but I was thinking they could have given Muta the win because there was a few shenanigans in there. You know, there's the mist for a start, even though it doesn't hit Sting and things like that. You could have given him the win, and then you could have just kept going with this program. Um, oh, oh, hey, real quick, um, could you sum up WCW for me? <laughs> On the way, you just did. <laughs> It was totally unintentional as well. <laughs> We're back with Soli. This is getting exhausting now. Let's amp the things up a wee bit, Gordon. He's with Lex Luger, who is amped up. Um, but, but, I loved this match. Okay, straight up, Luger versus Ricky Dragon Steamboat. Loved it. However, talk about a hodgepodge of finish in the last match. What the fuck? Is the deal with this no disqualification stuff? Yeah, this I don't know. It didn't really play out very well at the start because you're you're thinking you're everything you basically see happen, which is Luger saying before the match that he will not go out and have the match if the no disqualification rule isn't waived. He, he wants rid of that no DQ rule. Um, uh, otherwise, there'll be no match. But then, you know, Ricky Steamboat is out first. Um, very popular Ricky Steamboat Hold on, um, you can't just say comes out first <laughs> He comes out riding a wooden surfboard Carried by men His family's there And he's presenting He's not just carrying He's yeah, he presenting present A Komodo dragon wearing a leather jacket With studs yeah. on it I, I, don't mean, I don't mean Ricky Steamboat's wearing a leather jacket With spikes on it The Komodo dragon's wearing a leather jacket <laughs> With spikes on it, yeah, you I mean, kind of just say comes out. I mean, I mean, yeah, that that all seemed pretty pretty normal to me. That was yeah. I heard rumours that if um, if Triple H had been allowed to wrestle <laughs> WrestleMania this year, that that's what his entrance was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they went a bit over the over the top with it. Um, yeah, yeah, and a bit then, over the top. The entrance for Luger is a bit of a, a funny one as well because he appears, he's doing like a big bodybuilding pose and he seems to be on like a rotating uh, podium, but the podium sort of stops as he's halfway still looking, mm. uh, facing yeah. the back. So he kind of tries to spin himself and then comes out. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then we, we once again have Luger, he's, the, the, the ring announcer announces the match as no disqualification. Correct. And uh, Luger is, is still on the outside at this point and he's just shaking his head. <laughs> and then he, he's saying that unless that provision is moved, there will be no match. And he, he speaks to somebody who's mentioned as the promoter. Oh, yeah. um, 
and but I didn't didn't recognise this guy at all. But uh, Luger then gives Steamboat thirty seconds to decide if he agrees to to waive the no DQ rule, meaning the match can can go ahead. If not, it sounds like Luger's just going to walk. He's out of there. <sighs> and he counts it down, and then Steamboat's like, "Okay." <laughs> So they have the match. Yeah. <laughs> now, listen, I I get why they did this, because it comes into play for the finish. But yeah. it was all just a bit clunky and elaborate. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah. Hey, hey I just noticed that. <laughs> I've just noticed that <laughs> my notes here say that Steamboat seems to be wielding a Komodo dragon. <laughs> anyway. Eh... <laughs> How good is Ricky Steamboat? Yeah, he's so good. He's like so smooth and everything oh. just looks really good. And, you know, I, I know I've probably not seen all that many of his matches because what I've constantly heard is that he's got matches against Ric Flair that mm-hmm. are among the best matches yep. ever. Um, the match that always springs to my mind for him is the Randy Savage uh, Intercontinental title match. Yep. At, uh, is that Mania 3? Three, I think I... Um, and so, you know, I, I, I know the guy can, can wrestle, but even then I was looking thinking, oh, this is just really, really impressive. Just even the way it goes off the ropes, it's just, like you say, it's smooth, fast. This mm-hmm. is easily the best match I've ever seen Lex Luger have. Yeah, and I imagine getting a, a really good match out of Luger isn't maybe the easiest. Nah. Yeah. Nah, he's definitely stiff, mm, clunky. And the, the, that they're able to play into a story that I think, you know, much as JR's talked about how they don't have bodybuilders here, they're athletes, but, um, <laughs> you know, Luger looks like a bodybuilder uh-huh. um, and Steamboat is just out wrestling him. He's just taking him down all the time, countering him all the time, uh, which is, it's it, it plays, it probably plays into the guy's strengths in terms of what they're doing, but it also just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, he is, he's, he's going really fast. Um, and he's out wrestling him. Eventually, Luger manages to slow it down a little bit and uh, goes to town on Steamboat's back, mm-hmm. um, military pressing him. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah dear. The, the, Lex Luger goes to the top rope. I've mm. got here. Yeah. They, 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 they're again doing a bit of sort of logical storytelling. So I think uh, Luger's going after the, the back with uh, a view to uh, applying the torture rack. Nice uh, a point, um, yeah. which again makes makes some nice sense, and they, they're able to once Luger's taken control, and he is working on the back. You've got Steamboat being that um, again won't quit. You know, um, everyone respects him, and he just keeps fighting uh, type type guy. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, aye, underdog almost. Yeah, aye. Because um, much as we know Luger can't wrestle, it doesn't take a lot to look at him, and especially when he's doing things like a press slam and see the power that uh, the guy's got. Yep. Um, and and yet, as much as we both seem to have loved this match, the finish is a bit podgy podgy again. Yeah. It's not so much the disqualification. I didn't have an issue with the disqualification. I think it plays mm. in the storyline that they were fanning about with it. At the yep. start, it's the Luger bringing the chair in. Well, you didn't want it to be a disqualification match. I know yeah. disqualification match, but you brought the chair in, okay. Mm-hmm. It's the slingshot into the turnbuckles whilst he's holding the chair and it banging off him. It just, it's all a bit See when silly. I, 
I probably gave the, I don't know, the, the, the storyteller a little bit too much credit when I saw Luger go for the chair. Because in my mind, what was going to happen here is he was going to use the chair and get disqualified and then walk away with his title. Now, to me, once I thought about that, I thought, well, he wouldn't want a no disqualification rule because he actually just wants to bail out of this match. He wants to get disqualified. So he needs the no disqualification rule gone. Um, and I thought maybe, maybe that makes sense, but then it's not even him that uses the chair. And also thought Steamboat for the guy he's supposed to be, for the baby face, for, you know, the hero that just won't give up. He seemed to just immediately start using that chair. Uh, I thought that was out. It's, it seemed out of character. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, he was quite amped up. They'd been flying about the shop. Maybe it was just adrenaline. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, even if he'd shown some, I don't know, I sort of go back to uh, WrestleMania, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, when Roddy Piper's got, is it the ring bell or something like that, and yeah. the ref's down, and uh, he's looking at it and he's trying to decide whether to use it, you know, and he's like, oh, and I think in the end he doesn't. But here, he just looked at me oh, like Steve was like, chair, yes, yeah, bang! Swings for the fences. <laughs> so he gets disqualified, and... He goes after Luger and they, they sort of keep fighting. They go in the crowd. Or they're, yeah. they're, they're up the ramp fighting, chasing after them with the chair. Uh, it's a bit Benny Hill. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's a really good match. And I, after watching it, I was just a bit like, I want to watch more Steamboat, much like I was like, I want to see more Young Sting mm-hmm. um, after watching that previous one as well. Yeah, the, the announcers sort of tell the story of, you know, they, they believe Steamboat should get another shot. Luger brought the chair into the match, um, although Steamboat used it. Uh, they sort of speculate that this was maybe Luger's plan all along. Um, and I, I imagine there probably is another match at some point between them. It'd be an odd way to end a, a feud. Yeah. I forgot to mention that was for the US title. So, yes. so, so Luger was a US champion there. Yep. Right, we're back in promo for for more promos, and this time we're hyping our war games. And this, these both these teams cut some promos. We've got the fabulous Freebirds and some what what were they called? Samoan SWAT team. Samoan SWAT team. Yeah. Um, Fatu and Samu. Yep. Yeah, Fatu Rakishi. I think so, yeah. Yeah. These two the hedge drinkers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um Yeah. I d I don't know what the what what the um oh hello. Who's joining us? <laughs> yeah, he's just um one of the cats has just come in the window and it's being incredibly loud. But he'll calm down in a minute. He'll be fine. <laughs> we have got the um the Samoan SWAT team just like biting each other and banging heads with each other. They're just coming over insane. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the Freebirds just cut. You know, there's obviously three of them there. They just cut promo after promo. They're class. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Michael Hayes cuts an absolute brilliant promo. Yeah, yeah, and I think he, I think he was always like the the vocal leader of the group. Um, yeah, he's he's brilliant with the microphone, uh, Michael Hayes. And then we go over to the other side. So. What have we got? We've got the Freebirds, Fabulous Freebirds, and the Simone SWAT team taking on uh, Midnight Express. Midnight Express. Road Warriors and Steve Williams. Yes. And 
we start off with the Midnight Express, <laughs> but that gets cut as Steve Williams is Superman flying across the camera in front of them, smiling like Hacksaw Jim Duggan on his happiest day. Like, what? I, I, I always thought... <laughs> do, his name's Dr. Death. Yeah. And I think, you know, he was always positioned as, like, a very serious, tough guy. <laughs> like and a this, Dan Severn, almost. Yeah, it just seemed so out of place. <laughs> and this team <laughs> seem a little bit fractured because they've got these guys in one bit and then we've got Hawk and Animal in a different bit. Cool seeing yeah. the, the, the Legion of Doom in, in a different uh, face paint. Mm-hmm. I think it's blue face paint they've got. Yeah, I think... Um, Aside from their like WWE WWF runs, I think they used to mix it up quite a lot. That's um, cool. But I imagine Vince had like one specific look he wanted for them when they were uh, in the WWE. Figures. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Hawk's a good promo. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, we're, we're three years before his uh, SummerSlam '92 meltdown. He's, <laughs> he's a good promo. Yep. Okay, let's get into war games. <laughs> How mad is this? Yeah, I was I was really looking forward to this because um, I've not I've definitely not seen many war games matches. I've a feeling I've seen one that was right sort of uh, towards the end of WCW, and it was just a total mess. And With I the, think the that, fake Sting one, no. I don't know if it was that. Was 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 there one where Vince Russo was in the match or oh involved God. directly in the match? Oh, I don't and know. it was just an absolute mess. It was terrible. Uh, but I was thinking that you know there there must be really good ones out there. So I was thinking this. I'll I'll enjoy this. It was interesting. So I I liked that. I, I've seen war games where the next person. Should we talk about the format of war games? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's five people on each team. Uh, to start off with, one from each team enter, and they go for five minutes? Five minutes. Five yeah. minutes. And then progressively, after a certain length of time, second person comes in, and you're always, there's always a team at a disadvantage. It'll go two versus one, two versus two, three versus two, until we get up to, right up to five versus five. Yeah. Um, I like that they're all ringside. And they're basically yeah. champing at the bit to get in, apart from Michael Hayes, who's just <laughs> like, do I have to go in? Like that. Um, I, I, I believe, I, I would be surprised if it ever went the other way, but in the history of war games, I don't think the babyface team have ever won the toss. Right, that makes sense. Because <laughs> you need to have the two-on-one heel advantage, uh-huh. obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other ones that I've seen, it's been a bit like the Royal Rumble, where you don't know who's coming down next. All right, okay. Um, that was the NWO with the fake sting and all that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like that they're cage side and JR's telling you who's due to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, was that, did you did you enjoy the Bad Street entrance? The what? The Bad Street entrance with uh, Michael Hayes singing. Oh, I don't remember that. Do you know? So they've got this song and basically, oh, I can't remember the words. It's in like... Bad Street, da, 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 da. and he's saying this different every uh, like verse is saying something different, but he, he basically sings it as they're walking down. To ah, the I ring. don't remember that at all. <laughs> I think they, I think they used to do it for for all their their matches where they got an entrance. Ah. It's it's good for a bit of heat seeking because uh, it's just so they're just so up themselves, but it's really good. Nice, I like that. So who have we got in the Freebirds? We've got Jim, Jimmy Garvin. 
Yep. We got um, Michael Hayes, who we were just talking about. And. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, right, it was Terry Gordy. That's, he's a big big lad. Yes. Aye, aye, okay. Yeah. Um, so we start off with Beautiful Bobby. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. And uh, Jimmy Garvin. I think it's, is, is it gorgeous Jimmy Garvin? I'm sure they mentioned that in the commentary. It used to be gorgeous, aye. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, aye. And this is just obviously, it's funny because these guys that go in first must be knackered by the end of it. Yeah. It's it's a really odd dynamic of a match because they even mentioned this in the, the commentary. You you can't win or lose <laughs> until, until everyone's in. And uh, it's it's really odd to be watching a match where you know nothing... But it's not nothing decisive because you can have somebody taken out, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, nothing, there's going to be nothing definitive um, until if everyone's in the ring. In. And the only yeah. way to win war games is for the other is the team has to give up. Yeah, there's no pins or or, or whatever. Yeah, it's an in, it's an interesting concept. I wonder why WWE have never used it. Yeah, I, I they used I, it in NXT, didn't they? But yeah, I think that's the only and and. I think at the time that happened, that was probably Triple H's call, um, just based on the, the sort of how, how long ago that was. Um, and he, you know, he would strike me as somebody that would want to recreate something like this, Aye. just with his, you know, he's Flair he's Martin. got a lot of yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, he's he's got a lot of uh, respect for the past in the business so I think he would have looked and thought we can we can make that a current thing um, but yeah Vince has obviously never seen the appeal two rings needs to pay for another ring that's yeah, probably true yeah um, yep we get Eaton Eaton and Garvin starting off and it pans at one point it pans to Paul Heyman and he's on the mobile phone yeah. I've written who's he actually on the phone today <laughs> um, and who do we get in next? Uh, Terry, Terry Gordy. Gordy, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Garvin and Gordy just beat the shit out of Bobby Eaton, basically. Yeah. Um, until Steve Williams comes in and I've got JR is loving life. Steve oh, Williams yeah. is in. Yeah, That's I've, his got, boy, yeah. I've got something very similar. <laughs> Dr. Death and even things up. JR's delighted. That's his boy. This is a much more mobile Steve Williams than I ever saw before. Yeah, because we, he was probably a bit washed up by the time Aye. he appeared in, in WWF, because that would have been what, like mid to late 90s? Aye, he, well, he, was, he was in the brawl for all, wasn't he? He was, he was in the brawl for all. He, in fact, he was the guy they kind of wanted to win, wasn't uh-huh. he? Aye. It was going to be a vehicle for him, but yeah, that never really panned out. Um, Poor Bart Gun. <laughs> But I, he's like, he's fast and powerful. He's, mm-hmm. he's military pressing. Um, the big lad, what's his name? Ah, uh, oh, I just said it before, didn't I? Terry Gordy. Ah, he's, he's yeah. military pressing him. He's bouncing him off the top of the, the roof oh, of the cage. I, I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. He's huge. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I've always heard, and it's mentioned so often, and we all kind of knew it as a like almost like a running joke of that's JR's boy. And I always thought, oh, why? What is he seeing? But see, when you see this, I get it. Aye. Because you could see somebody sitting, even you know, what seven eight years later in a booking room and thinking, why don't we bring him in? Mm-hmm. If it's that version of him, 
you know, um, that that would get over. But I think, yeah, just maybe a wee bit past it by the time it came. Yeah, I think he'd had a good football career, hadn't he? I, I, yeah, I wouldn't I know what age right. he would have been, been here, but I think that was what the whole JR thing was about. He did a good football career Yeah, um, before that. So yeah, we, we kind of go through this pattern of the the baby faces coming back, and then the next allotted time being up, we get a um, a Samoan spot. We get Samu in, um, and poor Bobby Eaton and, and Doctor Death are taking a bit of a beating mm-hmm. um, at this point until Animal Animal gets back in and just as a just as a classic Animal, really. Yeah, he was your hot tag for the Road Warriors, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I quite like the fact. Um, what does that make it when Animal comes in? Is that that's three, three, three? Uh, yeah. Um, thought there was quite good positioning to bring him in because um, you know the crowd are are going to pop for both the Road Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I quite like the fact that they left Hawk to to the end because um, I think you know you talk about. We talked about Rick Steiner earlier. I know Hawk had like a, a world title match against Ric Flair and things like that. Oh, really? Um, and y- you could have seen him being a single star. Um, I think maybe just became too associated with uh, LOD um, for for maybe people to want it. Because mm-hmm. um, I think by that point, when they're so over as a team, you just want to see the team. Um, right. But he, he looks every bit a, a huge monster single star. Aye. And like you say, they, they make a, a big deal of him by leaving him as fifth. Yeah. Um, so so Animal comes in and starts doing these crazy shoulder tackles from one ring to the other. It's brilliant. Yeah. The crowd are going mad for it. Um, and I've wrote here that Animal has turned the tide. The faces are on top. Um, that is until Fatu pretty much gets in. And uh, back to four versus three. And the Samoans slow Animal down um, pretty well. Yeah. Then we get Stan Lane in, um, so so we're we're left looking at having Michael Hayes and Hawking in the end. Um, I I don't know much about Stan Lane to be honest. He just seemed like a bit of a spare part. Is that unfair? Um, no, I I don't really know anything about him either. So he was a um, he was part of the Midnight Express, eh? Yeah, I think there were maybe two incarnations, uh, and I think the other was maybe the constant. Um. Yeah. Uh, Who's that? Do you know? I, I, I think I got them mixed up with the rock and roll in the midnight. Yeah, I can look them up. I can look them up rather. Beautiful Bobby Eaton and I don't know. See if it will <laughs> roll off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll find it. Well, while I'll you're looking, it. I'll just like yeah again back to four four. We cut to the side and and Hayes is saying, "Do I have to go in?" He's, he's, I think he's saying that to Heyman or the Polly at the side. Um, just I, I like that stuff. It, he's still, you know, like he's not even in the match, but he's still working. Yeah. He knows there's a camera there, working for the fans. Um, yeah, so the Midnight Express uh-huh. started off, um, well, it was Dennis Condry um, and a guy called Randy Rose and then uh, Bobby Sorry, Eaton. Go- Bobby Eaton replaced Randy Rose. So it was Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton for quite a bit of time. And then Condry left and Stan Lane replaced him. Ah, who's Dennis Condry? Not Midian? No. Uh, no. Nah. 
Hello. No, I can't remember what Midian's name was. Oh, it wouldn't matter. Dennis Knight? Yes. Yeah. That's a class. Did you just pull that off the top yeah, of your head? Yeah, I, I didn't have time to look it up. That I love just that. came from my head. Just yeah. picture him. <laughs> just picture a naked Midian flying about the place. <sighs> that takes me bucket. back. <laughs> So we're yeah. we're five versus four now. Michael Hayes comes in, DDTs three of them, yep. and then just goes. So this is all happening on the right hand side of the ring. He goes over to the left hand side of the ring and just starts dancing. Yeah. I, do you know it's absolutely ridiculous? But I love it. I yeah, just I, I, I think he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And stupidly, he's taunting Hawk on the outside. Yeah. Of all the people to taunt, don't yeah. taunt the fresh man that's due to come in. Yeah. Um, Hawk eventually gets in we get the countdown Hawk eventually gets in and just clears the, the ring yep. he just takes everybody out um, and I've got here fair play to Bobby and he's still going strong attacking people he's probably absolutely jigger by this point um, so the finish so, so my understanding of war games you tell me if your understanding is the same is that the team has to give up uh, my understanding being like the team has to agree, like we're done. All right, okay. But that is not what happens here. So I've obviously yeah. got the wrong, uh, misunderstanding well, the rules. I think when because I hadn't thought or, or looked up or, or anything about the rules when they mentioned, you know, that I think that he does say. I think Jr. says a team have to quit. I just took that when it happens as a somebody from the team quit. So that's mm. it. Um, so yeah, but you you could well be right. It maybe it's supposed to be like that. So uh, Hawk does. So Hawk's isolated with um, Jimmy Garvin in the left hand side of the ring, and he does what looks like an absolute brutal neck breaker on him. Yeah. Um, which might literally be a neck breaker. <laughs> yeah. uh, he then picks him up to do it again, but instead arches his back and and hangs him up by mm-hmm. basically by his neck. Yeah. Um, and and that's it. It's done. Yeah. Quite anticlimactic. You know how they say, like, one of the keys to professional wrestling is uh, it should look like it hurts, but it shouldn't hurt. <laughs> this, I mean, if this didn't hurt, <laughs> it's bloody impressive because it looked like it had to. Yeah, all of it. That yeah. neck breaker to the to the hangman, if that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, it looked brutal. Um, they sort of mentioned, I, I didn't do any, uh, or I couldn't easily within a few clicks find it anyway. Uh, they mentioned this having been revenge. For the Road Warriors, who the 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 announcer's reference had been in the first, um, oh God, why is the match that War Games match, mm. um, and had been injured in it, oh. um, so they talk about this having be, been sweet revenge, and I think the indication is that the um, the Freebirds were involved in that match as well. Okay, um, but I didn't go back to to look to try and find out when that match was, or or if that you know. Was it a real injury or was it, you know, all just storyline type yeah. thing? And um, so I don't, I should have looked at more if I was going to speak about it. But no, uh, that's cool. I, yeah, apparently it was, it was revenge. So, so afterwards we get a little bit of a WCW um, classic. We get the heels. I think what happens is, is they, they isolate animal, keep them yeah. locked in the cage mm-hmm. um, and beat beat him up while Steve Williams is flying up and down the side of the cage like a crazed animal. 
Yeah, um, yeah, they're trying to basically break in. I think someone's up the top trying to rip the the cage open. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think what happened is that the, the winning team have basically been doing their celebration and they've just started to leave the ring. And then it's almost like the door's been shut behind the second last one uh, because Animal's still in there and he's left basically five on one. Poor um, Animal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I guess that I guess that's getting a bit of heat on them and, and um, yeah. probably continue some sort of Road Warriors, um, which got a Freebird storyline of some description, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So that was, aye, that was, that was some match for that to be a co-main event, so to speak. It was a good match, mm-hmm. fun match, yeah. but different from what we're used to seeing. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy. Yeah, it was good fun. I'd wondered going in, is this going to be a bit too significant oh, oh, going to happen? Sorry, lost you for a second there, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm back. Yes, I'm you're, here. you're here, you're here. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the match, but you, you do have to put it out of your mind a little bit, the fact that nothing of too much consequence is going to happen early on. But to be honest, with showing what was going on in the ring and the bits and pieces outside, they, they, it keeps you engaged anyway. Aye. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Guess who we're back with? Yes. Oh, this might be the last time, is it? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. Damn it. Gordon Soley with... The NWA World Champion, a very sombre World Champion, Ric Flair. Yeah. This is one of the best interviews I've ever seen Flair do. He is turned down to zero, mm-hmm. um, and to to sort of put it in the context, Flair has been out since this is July. Did we say? Yeah, Flair's been yeah. out since May. Um, he defended. I want to say defended the title against Steamboat. I want to say it was something like War of the World I think um, that's right yeah Terry Funk was a judge during that match he after the match he um, he said to Flair that he wanted to fight him for the belt Flair turned him down so Funk I think pile drove him on the apron perhaps yes basically he injured him they're making a they're, the big story is that Flair's neck is ruined uh, they're alluding to the plane crash he was in with his back um, and saying, no, this is a huge risk, you coming back to fight. Uh, this could kill you, this could end your career. Uh, and that's why Flair is so sombre, he's angry. They're saying, Gordon Soley's asking him if he should have taken a, tu- uh, taken a tune-up fight. Tune-up fight? Is that not, yeah. not fighting a tuna fish? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, that, think that's fight. right. Yep. Um he says, no, he's ready. He's ready for Terry Funk and he's... I, I love this promo from him. Do you know, it's so different from his... Because I think we're so used to him being, you know, the confident, arrogant, over-the-top. And uh, the fact he's he's often, you know, doing the woos and yeah. shouting and screaming. and uh, But this was a little bit more, you know, you you... <sighs> You talk a bit quietly and you will drag people in. You know, they, they almost have to lean in to mm-hmm. listen to you. Um, and I, I know that was always uh, Jake the Snake's thoughts on delivering a promo. Be measured, be calm, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and I think for, for Flair, this really stood out because he's not normally like this. And it adds to the story that it makes you believe that he's maybe not his normal self and he is concerned. And 
he doesn't know, you know, that he says he's ready, but is he ready? You know, all, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really good storytelling. It, it really, really is. It got, it got me extra pumped for it. Um, so, so we get, but, but in contrast, when Flair's coming out, he's coming out with like three, <laughs> three women on each arm. Yeah, I wrote that. Big smile he's, on his face. He's got the robe, he's got the women, he's got the fireworks. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of didn't fit what had just been said, no. but never mind. He gets one hell of a pop. Fans absolutely love him. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the heat on Funk is unbelievable. Yeah. They yeah. hate him. I, I imagine this would be one of those fans are waiting for you outside the venue type type situations because, yep. yeah, this is a proper heel who the crowd proper hate. It's brilliant, eh? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I'm only really used to seeing... Old man Terry Funk, Silly. if you like, Aye. Um, and yeah, with the you know the Chainsaw Charlie or you know some of the even some of the stuff we saw in ECW, which he was great in, but uh-huh. he he was you know towards the end of his career then, and I'm looking at him thinking he's young and he's he's mean and he's you know he's going to do anything. Oh, he's, he's horrible. Yeah, he's but he's great at it. Ah, really is, <laughs> and and he dictates. This isn't a. I think we we've, we've definitely spoke before about your typical Ric Flair match where he gets the same spots in over and over. That's mm-hmm. probably our experience of Ric Flair. Yeah. This was no that at all. This was no. dirty, horrible, yeah. brawling, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. It was it, it was brilliant. So good. Mm-hmm. Um and a, a a lot of the time it was the heel funk trying to get Flair out on the floor to try and do some damage to him. Mm-hmm. Flair back in the ring. Funk outside. It was, they started at a pace and they stopped. Funk was trying to cool off, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I feel like they told a brilliant story with this with this match, yeah. despite it not being very wrestling. Eh? Yeah, 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 it's really good. And yeah, again, it plays into the story of why this would be a fight. You know, why this wouldn't be your your typical Ric Flair wrestling match. Um, yep. And you've got the the sort of very deliberate attempts by Funk to to go after the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got um, Flair uh, almost in like revenge mode, start going after Funk's neck. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just I just really liked the the match and the way it played out. I, I probably did. I mentioned Sting Muta, which I really enjoyed earlier. I think this was my favourite match overall because of the story and the atmosphere and just everything that, that played out. It wasn't a great wrestling match, but it wasn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be a fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it worked really well. It felt like Funk was constantly trying to do something sinister mm-hmm. to Flair. He was always going for the pile driver. He has yeah. this, um, what do you call it, a Brandon iron that he comes out with. He's obviously working yeah. some sort of farmer, uh-huh. ra- uh, I don't know, what the rancher ran- yeah. uh, gimmick yeah. um, but not an in your face gimmick it's just yeah this yeah. is where I'm from I'm mm-hmm. bringing this I'm a heel I'm going to try and use it yeah um, and then we've got a guy Gary Hart on the outside getting himself involved similar to what he was in the sting match as well he's hooking a leg or trying to distract and that sort of thing I had a horrible thought because um, we've got uh, a couple of pile driver moments uh-huh. um, so Funk hitting a, a pile driver. Um, oh, we've got actually, I think Flair hits two 
it tile does. drivers on funk. Yep. Um, I did write for the first one. Funk maybe oversells the first one a little bit, <laughs> but uh, Flair Flair hits him with another one, and then um, we've got a point later on where uh, you know Funk's been hitting things like neck breakers or on Flair, and then uh, he starts removing the the ring the ring mats. Yes, and uh, he, that's, that's an old classic move that you didn't see anymore, isn't it? It is. I, I was watching it though, and I, I actually thought he was going to do it. I thought they were going to do the move, so they they sucked me right in because I'm watching, thinking, "Oh my god, they're going to do it!" Um, but you know, Flair, Flair ends up uh, backdropping Funk onto the mats. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it obviously dragged me in enough for me to think, "Don't do that! <laughs> Don't do that!" <laughs> <laughs> and this being a a Ric Flair match, he uh, gets a figure four on at one point. We get Gary Hart distracting, distracting the referee and Funk nails him with the Brandon Iron in the face. Of course, he's cut open. Yeah. We've got the Crimson Mask um, and Flair returns the favour later on. I yep. think Gary Hart throws it in a little bit uh-huh. too excitedly and it reaches his way to Flair and he, he busts Funk open as well. So yep. they're both bleeding all over the place. <laughs> um, and and it, it goes into the... I, I feel like it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Um, up to a certain point, and then they just go crazy at each other. They're outside. They're off the the, the ring poles and everything like that. And then very quickly we get to finish. Um, yeah. So so our finish is Flair goes for the figure four. Funk reverses that into we've seen this before. Figure four into the small package. Yeah. Um, and Flair then reverses that small package and, and gets a three count. Yeah. I, probably quite a good finish for for what it is is a, a kind of smashing grab for, from Flair, yeah, um, outsmarting somebody that's really trying to do him some damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then then <laughs> things just go from <laughs> zero to a hundred. I mean, as if that wasn't enough, as if that match wasn't enough. Muta, who we've obviously seen, appears out of nowhere and uh, blows. Green mist, green mist, yeah. Into Flair's face. Keep in mind, Flair's face is covered in red <laughs> yep. blood. Um, now his face is a beautiful shade of green and red. <laughs> uh, Funk and Muta beat down Flair. Sting comes to help Flair, and then these four just go brawling all yeah. over the place. It's it's really good that it's really heated and it's really well done and you know you can see the logic because we've already seen Gary Hart aligned with Muta mm-hmm. early on. Gary Hart is Funk's manager, so that that makes sense. Uh, the fact that Sting had the match with Muta earlier had already made his thoughts on Gary Hart pretty clear. <laughs> um, so he's he's going to come out and and try to make the save. Um, quite a quite an intense brawl going on, and uh, we've got the. The announcers, um, who are it's like they're trying to do their sum up. Yeah, of, of trying to the get out of there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, we can see the brawling just right there next to them, <laughs> which makes it feel like just so authentic and chaotic, and uh-huh. they genuinely do seem like they're trying to get off of air. Yeah, and these guys are just—they're not brawling <laughs> behind them; they're like through them, across them, off to the side of them. Yeah, um, and then flare. I've says I've got here that Flair cuts a promo looking completely possessed. 
Um, yeah. In contrast to his somber mm-hmm. um, promo that he cuts before the match, he's we're, we're back to Ric Flair that we know. Mm-hmm. Cutting this unbelievable promo, um, standing next to JR, and he just looks wild-eyed. He's crazy. He's covered in the mist and blood. It's brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. and it as you say, it, it works because you know he's been in that previous sort of somber, maybe a little bit unsure place before the match, and then he's just gone through all this, um, and he's amped up, and uh, he's got the crazy eyes on the go. Um, he he thanks Sting for having his back. Um, which uh, they do actually end up carrying that forward to to the next pay per view, which which is good um, because what did they, they do? so at Halloween Havoc um, back in the days when there were many months between pay per views, <laughs> uh, we had so we went July to October. That's class. Yeah, wow. um, we had Ric Flair and Sting against Terry Funk and the Great Muta. Love that. Um, with Bruno Sammartino as special guest ref. Oh, um, so yeah, at least they're you know they're going somewhere with this, um, which which I like, um, rather than it just being for for the sake of it. Yeah. So that was us. The, yeah. The, they kind of go off air with Flair looking crazy and them still yeah. fighting in the background and Jr. looking pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and uh, again, I like that because he should look a bit uncomfortable. He should be looking over his shoulder and saying, where are they? What's going on? You know, all that kind of thing. Um, so it didn't feel over the top or anything like that. So I think Great American Bash 89, I, I think fair to say a, a pay-per-view of two halves. Um, yeah. I feel like it finished strong from, where would you say, Lex? Uh, Cornette and Cornette and, and Paulie was good. And then from uh, Sting forward was pretty good. Yeah. If you yeah. take away the tornado tag and the <laughs> the skyscrapers, it's fairly good. After I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a pretty good show. Um, the, the, yeah, as you say, there were some not so good moments in it. But what I liked was going pretty early career and seeing guys like Sting and Lex Luger who've got the, the sort of secondary belts here mm-hmm. and they're you know working their way up um, the, I, I just found the War Games match fascinating because you know it's, it's such a different type of match and then the, the, the main event couldn't have had more heat it just it just really worked really well um, I think yeah. just overall compared to what we were probably watching at this time as little kids in yeah. WWF this was just gritty yeah, uh, I th- dirty. I think that's one of the things that's often mentioned and referenced is WWF maybe had the the more kid friendly product at the time, and you know the Hulk Hogan types, the the, the heroes, um, and like cartoonish mm-hmm. characters. Whereas for real gritty wrestling, um, people were were watching WCW, and looking back, I I, I can see that. Because um, you know, I, I wasn't buying VHS tapes of WCW events. I was I was buying them of the the old WW, WWE mm-hmm. stuff. And um, the, the, don't get me wrong, some of some of the shows had some very good matches. But I, I don't know if you would find many that had as many good wrestling matches as, as something like this did. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It was more character driven in WWF yeah. at that point. Yeah. So yeah, overall enjoyed it. I did, yeah. Um, I got the impression when you, I think you messaged me 
like you you maybe thought I hadn't or wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, no, I I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it was just I've been quite keen to go back the way we, but yeah, um, we've obviously been watching relatively modern wrestling, and it was it felt quite nostalgic and um almost I don't know what the word is, but pre pre nostalgic. Um, mm-hmm. To to go and visit something that never actually seen before, so I enjoyed yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, we see when you say things like nostalgic, there was this thing that I saw online, and it was a, it was probably on Twitter or something like that. It was a picture, or two pictures side by side, saying what what I think wrestling was twenty five years ago, and it had a, a picture of Hogan and Warrior, and then the next picture is what what wrestling actually was twenty five years ago, and it's a picture of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh. And I'm like, shit, God. <laughs> It's like seeing a playlist on Spotify. It's like old school hip hop, and it's like Fifty Cent in the club. Yeah. Nah. <sighs> old, yeah. old yeah. and decrepit. Yeah. So, where are you taking me for our okay. next date? Okay. So, I was. I, I only decided on this after watching the uh, the eighty nine. <laughs> Uh, Great American Bash, and I thought to myself, I wonder what the sort of the similar time in WWF looks like. And then I thought, okay, I can see WrestleMania um, four, five. You know, I've I've watched those plenty, and I started thinking about something just a little bit different. Um, I suppose you you probably know the 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 rough story about WrestleMania four has a title tournament. I want us to look at the reason that WrestleMania 4 had a title tournament. Mm. So what that all will stem from is a show called The Main Event. So it's The Main Event 1, because they did a few more after it, <laughs> from 1988. Now, it's quite a short show. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, I mentioned to you, there, there's a lot before in the build-up to this, then after uh, the event that, that can be touched upon. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the main event, 1988, it only actually has three matches on it, um, but historically, pretty significant stuff. Okay. So um, yeah, if if you're if 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 you're ever wondering why was the title up for grabs in a tournament, this is going to explain it to us. Beautiful. Yeah, we can discuss it all. That sounds class. Um, and and I'm right in saying that this is headlined by Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Yes, yes. So uh, it's not the last match, but it's the headline match. Um, And I was hearing or reading somewhere that when this this show, I think you told me how many people watched it, which just seemed absolutely insane. Um, Was it 33 million? 33 million. Um, So apparently, because some of the stuff beforehand had gone a little bit long, the there's a, a tag match between Strike Force and the Heart Foundation, which goes on last. Who are Strike Force? Strike Force is Tito Santana and Rick Martel. Nice, that's the same person, though. No. <laughs> that's like saying, "Oh, it's Bray Wyatt and the Fiend versus." Well, it, it's kind of like that, but they're different guys. All right, okay. I mean, I mean, Tito Santana was El Matador. And uh, oh, Rick Martel. And he was Rick Martel. <laughs> like Ezekiel uh, and Elias. Well, I mean, because I'm not currently watching, I have to assume that they're the same person, because otherwise I don't get 
how why it would be a storyline. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, that match actually cut off because the other shows had, had run long. So oh, that match classic. was didn't get me started. Classic Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> so that match was still in progress when the show on NBC ended so nobody knew how that tag title match ended however I'm assured that the full match is on the network so no we will get closure on that no wonder Brett hates Hogan <laughs> you can get started here Aye. <laughs> back in 88 cool, look forward to watching that then what I might do if it makes sense is maybe just chucking Mania 4 after it if it if yeah. it um, or maybe that that part of it, or you know, like the, the, the like title, the title, title, title tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that makes sense. I think. Yeah. Cool. Let's do that then. That sounds class. Excellent. I love this wee adventure we're going on with the sort of older stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think, like you said, uh, what we're kind of seeing is stuff we've maybe never watched before, or certainly never watched. I've probably seen every Attitude Era pay per view mm. like two or three times over, um, and it probably gets a bit stale. And then um, some of the other shows we've watched that I was going to say are a bit more modern, but even things like 2002, it's really good. But, I, you know, I've, I've I've seen a lot of these guys that are in the matches that are participating in them. And it's sometimes just nice to go back and see mm-hmm. something a little bit less familiar. You'd said that you'd considered a 1998 Survivor Series. Um, what What was it that swayed you? To just just what you've described there. Just yeah, I just um, I thought to myself, I've I've definitely seen that. It's one of my favourites, that Survivor Series. But I've definitely seen it probably four or five times. Could you sing I, the theme song, uh, theme tune? Oh no! For some reason, I've blanked. I'm not going. To, I was going to, but I'm not going. To. Um, <laughs> the, the the thing that annoys, obviously, we've we've not watched it, but the, the thing that annoys me about this and you're you're supposed to be annoyed by it but it's just the whole uh, bringing back up the Montreal screw job and all that that bothers yeah, me yeah. Um, but I, I'm sure at yeah. the time it, it made sense to use and Rock Rock must have jumped from heel to face to heel pretty quickly in the space of that year yeah and I think what I'd remember fondly about it is that I'm pretty sure they got me like I, I didn't see it coming at all when he uh, turned heel again at the end. Poor um, man, and they screwed over mankind. He was he was kind uh, of like Vince's right hand man sort of thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was never yeah. going to be, was he? Nah, he should have seen that coming. Even if I didn't see it coming, mankind should have seen it coming. What was it he said to China again? <laughs> Remember that last one? <laughs> Did you oh, say? God. Kiss, kiss my ass, and he was like, "Well, I, I really enjoy kissing." <laughs> it's, 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 it's your lucky day because I'm a good kisser. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, class. <laughs> right. Well, I look forward to that in two weeks. Uh, yep. Straight back into the time machine again. Uh, yeah. Until then, we shall go, and uh, looking forward to seeing Big Andre in action. Awesome. That'll be fun. Um, hit us up on Instagram at Outlaws Pod if you have ever been hit in the face with a cattle prod mm. or had someone spray mist in your face. Yeah. Okay. Or if Dan Spivey nearly dropped you on your head, <laughs> we would be keen to hear from you. Until then, we shall see you in two weeks. Cheers, Adam. Cheers. <laughs>